I've got a good feeling about this sugar episode, guys. That's because I've loaded it with sugar. We've hit the jackpot here. White gold, Texas tea, sweetener. Yeah, about that. We need to get all of our references to the Simpsons big pile of sugar episode out of the way now while Amanda isn't here. Must protect sugar thieves everywhere. Hey, Will, where did you get the sugar for this episode? I nicked it when you let your guard down for that split second. And I do it again. In America, first you get the sugar, then you get the power, then you get the women. I think that's about it. Are we ready to start? Never! I can't live the button-down life like you. I want it all. The terrifying lows, the dizzying highs, the creamy middles. Sure, I might offend a few of the blue noses with my cocky stride and musky odors. Oh, I'll never be the darling of the so-called city podcast who cluck their tongues, stroke their beards, and talk about what's to be done with discord and rhyme. Sugar man. Welcome to Discord and Rhyme, a podcast where we discuss our favorite albums song by song. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and generally wherever you can find podcasts. And you can find show notes and our full episode archive at our website, discordpod.com. And now it is time for the roll call. I am Rich Bennell. Chris Willie Williams. Ben Marlin. And we have a special guest today. Scott Ploman. Hey, Scott. So Scott was part of the music reviewing ecosystem where we all met and is author of the book, The Story of Rock and Soul Music, which you can find on Amazon and co-host of the podcast Music Nerds Unite, which you can find on whatever app you use to find us. Uh, he ran the website Scott's Rock and Soul Album Reviews for more than 20 years, and you can find those reviews and more in his book. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, how's it going, Scott? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Was it really 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> Was it 20 years? I kind of just I kind of just assumed it was 20 years. Yeah. Time flies. But again, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a big fan of your podcast and it's uh, it's great to be here. Yeah. You're so happy to have you on. But before we start, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash discord pod if you have the funds to spare for a monthly donation and get some perks while you're at it, like early access to our compilation series and our exclusive donor feed with new bonus episodes dropping every month. So, Will, you are up in the hosting rotation. What album do you have for us, and why did you pick it? Tonight, we're going to be talking about Copper Blue by Sugar. And I chose this album because Bob Mould, Sugar's frontman, is a toweringly important figure in the history of Indian alternative rock. But most of the acclaim tends to be focused on his first band, the double umlauted punk trio Husker Du. <laughs> and I wanted to redirect more of that praise toward the somewhat poppier trio he fronted in the early 90s, Sugar, and their masterful debut album in particular. So, well, tell us your personal history of Sugar. Well, as I mentioned on one of our This Is Comp minisodes, I discovered Bob Mould and Husker Du on MTV's 120 Minutes compilations in the early 90s. I instantly glommed on to Mold's ability to write articulate lyrics that were sensitive and often heartbroken without giving an inch of space to wimpiness. 
And around that same time, I was at a Best Buy and started playing an album called File Under Easy Listening on the little kiosk where you could listen to one of five new albums that Best Buy was promoting through an abominably greasy set of headphones. <laughs> I seem to recall that was considered a real innovation for record stores at the time. And what I heard through those headphones, apart from the unmistakable chittering of colonies of head lice, was Bob Mould fronting a band I hadn't even known existed named Sugar. I liked File Under Easy Listening a lot, but then after another shopping trip, I found a musical soulmate with Sugar's 1992 debut, Copper Blue. And what's been striking me as I've worked on this episode, and I'll be interested to hear um, you guys' opinion on this as well, is that I've known this album note for note since high school, yet I've always classified it mentally as a breakup album, even though only maybe half the songs deal with heartbreak in any way. Mold himself calls it one of my sunniest albums, Ooh. and he was even in the middle of a dysfunctional yet nevertheless long-term relationship when it was recorded. So I guess it's just that those particular songs are so deeply potent and violently emotional that it's easy for me to pigeonhole Copper Blue that in its entirety as a heartbreak record. So that's where I'm coming from with this. It's dark. I mean, I don't think you're off about that. This is a dark album. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I think musically, though, is I think probably one of his more upbeat albums, I guess, is maybe that's what he's referring to. Hmm. Well, we'll get to this later, but uh, I, I in large part wasn't able to tell what he was saying on this album because in general his words are covered by layers of guitars. That's that's very true, too. <laughs> uh, but Scott, what's your history with Sugar? Uh, my history is, uh, I remember hearing Sugar probably the year it came out in 1992. Uh, I was hanging out with a couple of friends from work after work Friday night. We're hanging out, getting ready to go out. And my friend plays this album that I had never heard before. And I was like, wow, you know, what is this? Who is this? And uh, sure enough, it was Copper Blue. And... Uh, I was immediately taken by it, um, and uh, essentially, you know, I got really into Bob Mould, and, and it was kind of a gateway album for me into, you know, Husker Du and Replacements and uh, other bands like Dinosaur Jr., Sonic Youth, The Pixies, you know. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I loved it from the get-go, and uh, sound-wise, I always thought of it as a power pop album. But like Rich said, just really loud, you know, ear splittingly mm -hmm. loud. And, uh, you know, except that he's got like a really weird voice, right? So maybe <laughs> that's why he, they never really broke big, uh, you know, in the mainstream. But, uh, you know, that's, that's my take on it. And, and I agree with Will in that Sugar is my favorite Bob Mold stuff. Uh, Husker Du is a great band, but, but to me, Copper Blue is the best album he ever did. Ben, what about you? So I've been a fan of the Sugars for, for longer than any of you. It's just way, way back. Um, no, actually, you know, just this one. And they're a hit, Archie, Archie. <laughs> just this once, this is a band I did not discover through Wilson and Allroy's record reviews. I'm ashamed. I promise it'll never happen again. Um, but Will actually got me into Sugar way, way back, I guess 20 years ago, if that's when all this happened. Yeah. Way back before any of our, our hip millennial listeners were born. Um, and that was on his excellent review site, the Disclaimer Music Review Archive. And Will gave the album Copper Blue an A+, which on John McFerrin's site means it's putrid. But on Will's site, that meant it was a great album and one I had to check out. 
I've been known to frequent a used CD store or two. And uh, thankfully in the 90s, everyone bought sugar CDs and everyone sold them back. So I bought a used copy and I was hooked. And Will was absolutely right about the A+. Uh, This is amazing music and I'm looking forward to learning more about it and talking about it. So for my own history, I, so I've never been able to get into Husker Du, though to be fair, I've never tried very hard, uh, but their music verges on more on hardcore punk and is really, really trebly, both of which are kind of turnoffs mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but Will has been a very enthusiastic proselytizer of sugar basically the whole time I've known him and it rubbed off on me. And then when I listened to them and found out that, yeah, they're they're basically loud, catchy power pop, but the rest was history. Uh, but I'm actually way less familiar with Copper Blue than the follow up file under Easy Listening, which we'll also mention. And um, and I picked that up for five bucks at Amoeba Music in Berkeley during my final summer in undergrad. Um, and I have very vivid memories of staying up late and listening to the song G Angel, which is probably my favorite sugar song that's a good one Copper Blue is the classic for a reason, and I'm glad I got the excuse to really dig into it. This podcast is good for that. But Will, what can you tell us about Bob Mould and Sugar in general? Collegiate malcontent and guitarist Bob Mould formed the melodic hardcore punk band Husker Du with drummer Grant Hart, bassist Greg Norton, and a keyboardist named Charlie Pine, who was fired from the band during a concert when Hart's buddy and Minnesotan tastemaker Balls, possibly not his given name, unplugged (laughs) Pine's keyboards and gave him the finger. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so, having secured the Midas touch of balls, Husker Du went on to release some of the defining albums of 80s punk, including 1984's immersive, sprawling classic Zen Arcade. While their primary ingredient was always speed, both in terms of sonic velocity and amphetamine consumption, Mold, Hart, and Norton refused to adhere to the 80s hardcore dogma, which said that all popular music before the Ramones was bloated, inauthentic, and ultimately worthless. Instead, they drew so unashamedly on classic and psychedelic rock that one of their most celebrated recordings is a cover of The Birds' Eight Miles High. Eight miles high. 
Ultimately, though, Mold and Hart's competitiveness and Norton's apparent apathy became too much, and Husker met its demise in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> it's demise. <laughs> Mold moved on to record a pair of solo albums, Workbook and Black Sheets of Rain, which would barely be worth mentioning if not for the phenomenal rhythm section who joined him on those records. Bassist Tony Maimone... I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing their names correctly, phenomenal though they are, Tony Mamone of Para Ubu and drummer Anton Fear from the, the Feelies and the Golden Palominos. And even though neither album was great, I feel like Mamone's and Fear's artistry helped Mold to realize that it was possible for him to recruit a backing band who could capably and willingly enhance his own compositions rather than merely supporting them the way that Hart and Norton generally did. So forming an actual band of this sort became his next goal, and he was joined by bassist David Barbie, who was an acquaintance of Mold's boyfriend, and drummer Malcolm Travis, whose band The Zulus Mold had produced in the past. Mold named his new trio Sugar for no reason other than the fact that the band needed a name for their show that night and his eye came to rest on a sugar packet at some diner. Mold has a reputation as something of a workaholic and control freak, but that evidently does not apply to naming bands. <laughs> anyway, Sugar's uh, fecund first studio sessions resulted in a solid six-song EP called Beaster, as well as Copper Blue, with which we concern ourselves today. I just want to defend Workbook. I think it's a very good album, but uh, we could, you know, that's maybe another episode. It's, it's not bad at all. It's got some really good songs on it. It's... I just don't, I don't know that it would be as, as noteworthy. <laughs> as... Well, we got a recommendation section at the end if you want to stump for it. But... I just did, so I'll, I'll stump for something. <laughs> <laughs> I know we covered the song See a Little Light on one of our composodes, and I loved that. I don't know yeah. what album it was yeah. from. That's from Workbook. That's from Workbook. Okay. We keep letting listeners know that we call them composodes internally. <laughs> I'm fine with that, though. <laughs> so before we dig into Copper Blue, if you have any questions or feedback about the show or just want to lavish us with praise, we're on both Twitter and Instagram at Discord Pod, and you can email us at discordpod at gmail.com. Uh, and if you email us, let us know how you found out about the show. In particular, we want to know where all the downloads for, the, for our Pure Mood series are coming from. Like, did we get shared on the official Adiemus Facebook fan group or something? <laughs> I don't know. Please clarify. <laughs> also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, it would help spread the word about Discord and Rhyme if you left us a rating or, even better, a review. But let's get started, shall we? We shall. Copper Blue. Act One. The Act. We Act. <laughs>
is a strong, strong opener, the act we act. Superchunk's Mac McCowan once said, Sugar took Husker Du's aesthetic widescreen, which gets it completely right. Ooh, synesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> Mold has always had an ear for a terrific melody and a restless ability to claim a lot of stylistic ground without losing his project's distinguishing traits. But Copper Blue really marks the first time the production is able to keep up with his ambition. Um, actually, as as Rich said earlier, Husker Du, I think part of the reason why I don't listen to Husker Du anywhere near as much as I listen to Sugar is the production was pretty much universally terrible on every Husker Du album. And a lot of that was the fault of SST Records, which made them use their own awful producer named Spot, but that's, I'm rambling. At any rate, from the very first few seconds of the act we act, Mold and co-producer Lou Giordano just stack this album to the heavens with pure Ursine muscle, and you can tell it's going to be an amazing ride. So I'm curious about the sound of this album in general, because I, I read an interview where Mold described the sound of Husker Du as like a plane that never touches the ground, <laughs> uh, which I think is really good, a good way of describing them. But there, there's a lot more of that ground to Sugar's sound, but it's still... Uh, to me, like it's still kind of odd to listen to a loud rock album where you can just keep turning up the knob and it never quite seems loud enough. Like, was was this the way Bob Mould intended the album to sound, or was like, was this just a level of loudness that like engineers hadn't figured out how to deal with yet? Uh, do you have, does anyone have any insights into that? I think Mike would be the Mike would be the one to ask for sure. But I f I feel like it it was so endemic around that that time that all engineers hadn't quite figured out how to make things sound as muscular as they wanted to. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I was wondering, because I, I know, and I, I mean, I've learned a lot of just about uh, like the, the nature of loudness just from like what little I do to help produce this podcast. And I know that mixing something that's extremely loud and retaining the clarity is a challenge. And when engineers just like crank up the volume of every single element in the sound, like that's how you get Nickelback. And this does not sound like Nickelback <laughs> so <laughs> to its credit. Uh, but it's still like I was listening to this earlier today, like on speakers and just trying to make it as loud as I could. And it just like it's a it's a great anthemic opener. It just this whole album just doesn't quite it's not quite as loud as I want it to be. Does that make sense? It is. And actually, you know what? I maybe I should have made this clear. They, um, Merge Records reissued uh, this album in a remastered version mm -hmm. in in the past few years, and that's that's the version I've been going off of. The original version that I had that was released in '92 by Creation Records in the UK and Rykodisc in the US did suffer from that same sort of. Uh, issue that you're discussing. So I think that maybe it was that they just hadn't quite figured figured things out, and the technology has improved that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, this is a great song. I don't want to. I don't want to diss on it. I just had some questions about. The oh no, it's really. Yeah, but, it's a, a yeah. lot of. Especially, I've noticed a lot of compact discs from the early '90s. It's. It seemed like they hadn't quite put their finger on how to get them loud at all. <laughs> Well, I, I have I have the vinyl edition. I, I'd like to crank it up loud, but I ha I've moved and I have neighbors now, and so that's a problem. But uh, I've blabbered enough. Scott, what do you think of the act we act? Uh, the act we act is a great opening song, uh, one of the best songs on the album. Uh, back to Husker Du, I, I would say 
the production got a little better on the later albums like Warehouse, which was a major label album. So that's the most sugar-like mm-hmm. Husker Du album. So if you like sugar and you want to check out Husker Du, that may be your best bet. Although it's like a double album with 20 songs and it's not... It's, it's a little, little over long. long. But if, you, if you just check out the Mold songs, maybe, uh, to start... Right, yeah, there instead you go. of the heart, which are which are the better songs <laughs> I, for the most part, anyway, which kind of foreshadows how their subsequent careers would go. Um, Mold being, you know, more impressive, although Heart did a lot of great stuff in Husker Du. Anyway, now it's now I'm babbling. Uh, back to this song, <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, you know that chugging guitar groove kind of instantly demands notice, right? And then um, I love yeah. when the, when the drums kick in and with with that boom, big booming beat. I, I think. The secret weapon of Sugar is Malcolm Travis. I mean, he is a great drummer, and he way better than Grant Hart, you know, who was, was good in his own way. But I think Malcolm Travis is an absolute monster on this album, and uh, he does a lot, deserves a lot of credit. Uh, I think I mentioned Mold's weird voice before, but it's it's <laughs> kind of cool in its own way. Uh, I think the chorus surge is, is tremendous, and... Uh, you know, the act we act is wearing thin. Uh, I think that's basically says all that needs to be said in terms of, of what the song is about. Um, it has a great guitar solo also, uh, so it's just a great song in every way, uh, a great start to the album. Oh, and we did cover a song from Warehouse Songs and Stories in the same compilation series as uh, as the Bob Mould song we talked about. Uh, I, I believe it, Could You Be the One was the song. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, Bob Mould showed up twice in that compilation. What that's a- that's a great song. So yeah, it makes sense. That was yeah. one of our composites. Mm-hmm. That that was the that was the second uh, <laughs> 120 minutes. Yes, one, one of our composites. <laughs> Let's keep saying that word, composite. Ben, what about you? So this is the kind of music I normally can't stand. Like big, colorless, gray, loud power chords. I usually take it to mean that that there's a lack of inspiration there and, and that I'm hearing a Xerox copy of rock and roll. But for reasons I can't entirely figure out, this is all different because I love what Bob Mould does here. On this song and all the others on the album, underneath all the noise, which is really powerful, there's a deep emotional core. And even if that emotion is the minority shareholder of all the sound that's blasting out of my speakers, it ends up having the biggest effect. Bob Mould isn't technically a great singer. I mean, I'll I'll go with what Scott said about a weird voice. Uh, He would never be able to compete on America's Got Voices or whatever is on TV. Uh, But as Rich pointed out before, he even does his best to obscure his voice on the record. But somehow he still gets across emotion with whatever he's doing. And it helps that, you know, this is a really catchy song. It begins almost robotically, repeats the same riffs, and it's sneaky. It it takes time to slip inside your head, but once it's there, you can't forget it. All right, guys, I've got a good idea. We should move on to track two. (laughs) A good idea. But what's the track called, Rich? (laughs) I'm not telling you.
sounds a pretty obvious hat tip to the pixies who had just imploded and who themselves often doffed their millinery to Husker Du. Uh, I don't really believe Bob Mould's claim that he wasn't aware that the bass line of the song is just the bass line of the Pixies' great song, Debaser. But regardless of whether it was intentional, this one is a... this one is definitely its own song, uh, driven by David Barb, who just plucks out Kim Deal-esque 16th notes on his bass, while Travis provides a drum backing that's similar to David Lovering's work, but better recorded than the Pixies ever cared to bother with. And that leaves Mold to play both Black Francis and Joey Santiago on guitar, with bent surf rock notes in the verses giving way to noise that's turned cathartically horrific by the song's end. And even the story is an inscrutable bit of Black Francis-style brutality. A dispassionate third-person account of what seems to be a couple's bit of aquatic breath play devolving into murder. And Mold is audibly having the time of his life. So maybe that's what he meant by sunniness. Uh, Scott? Well, Will pretty much said everything uh, I wanted to say. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, Next. Yeah, I mean, if you if you like the Pixies, you should like this song, right? Um, uh, I always thought of it as, you know, Husker Du influenced the Pixies, and now he's paying tribute to the Pixies in return. Uh, so I don't buy that he didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, he... He's he's pretty blatant in a lot of his self contradictions. He's he's a good salesperson of himself. Yeah, I mean this. The, I don't believe that either. Like this feels like it go, it goes even beyond Pixies homage. Like smells like Teen Spirit, yeah. and, and you're getting into the realm of like a Weird Al style parody here. <laughs> and, and by the way, there actually is a Weird Al Pixies style parody called First World Problems on his Mandatory Fun album. So if you want to if you want to compare the two, I don't. My maid is cleaning the bathroom. As far as the lyrics, uh, I, I always thought it was either a straight-up murder or, or an assisted suicide. Uh, it's not, I don't think it's entirely clear. Oh, so there's some ambiguity there in my in my eyes. So I hadn't looked at it from that perspective. I'll have to I'll have to give that a think. Well, the scenario in the song, it reminds me of the movie uh, A Place in the Sun from 1951, where, where Montgomery Clift, he drowns Shelley Winters so he can go out with the more uh, like upper crust socialite Elizabeth Taylor. And the whole thing is like this big metaphor for the dark underbelly of America in, in the 50s. And uh, I can't help but wonder if like Bob Mould was putting his own like creepier spin on it when composing the song, because that's a classic movie. I wouldn't have I, I, I could imagine that Bob Mould might have seen it. That's Montgomery Clift, honey. <laughs> that is the right profile. <laughs> so, Ben, what about you? I know nothing about the Pixies, uh, but I trust Will about this, despite extensive past experience urging me otherwise. <laughs> um, but I don't think I'm the target audience for this song, but I still like it. It's catchy and insistent. And as always, you know that Mold means what he's singing. I've listened to it for years, and I never paid attention to the lyrics, so I didn't realize until today that it was about murder. But Mold really means what he's singing about murder. You got to murder big or murder home. 
And by the way, if any Pixies fans uh, are going to write in to point out that it's not the Pixies, but Pixies, well, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) All right, team. Now that winter has fallen upon us, it is time for track three changes. Oh, but it's not the one you that we thought you were going to use. We were all prepped for the David Bowie changes. <laughs> I appear to have played Changes by Yes from their 90125 album, easily the most famous song I know of named Changes. Here's some sugar. That opening riff would make a great indie rock alarm clock if you needed one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh, changes was the first single from Copper Blue, and uh, ever since Scott mentioned that he thinks Mole has a a strange voice, I've I've been considering that as we've listened to these clips, and I I could definitely hear how that could have maybe been a factor in them not breaking as big as they probably should have because he does he does have just this sort of strangled kind of midwesterny he wasn't originally from st paul minneapolis from upstate new york i believe is where he was born but that doesn't mean he can't still have a weird accent (laughs) but uh as far as the song goes it it would be a great choice for the first single for the from the album if if i can't change your mind wasn't four tracks later which we will get to it's such an up feeling song with such downer lyrics about returning to one's own vomit basically in a relationship i guess that's where i'm going to leave that (laughs) ben did you say my name yeah no i said vomit i mean i see how So this is a standard awesome pop song in the guise of hard rock. Uh, it's not one of the best songs on the album, in my opinion, but that's like blaming Ringo for only being the fourth best Beatle when he would have easily been a top three Rolling Stone and, and one of the higher ranking Simons and Garfunkel. So this is a great song, regardless of how it stacks up in the company of so many other bangers. Uh, it's insistent and powerful. I really enjoy it. Simon and Garfunkel and Poochie. <laughs> uh, Scott, what about you? I agree with Ben. I don't think it's one of the best songs on the album, but I, you know, it's a bit repetitive, maybe. But I still think I still think it's really good. It's very simple, but it's effective and hard rocking. And another thing that's worth mentioning is the transition from a good idea into changes is great. 
you know, I don't know if we captured that in in the clip, but yeah, it's instant, and, and that's that's that is something that happens throughout the album because the 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 segue from changes into the next song, Helpless, is also great. So these are the things that you know, the kind of magic moments you don't get if you only listen to songs and not albums. You know, uh, which is basically what most people do these days so just want to kind of call that that's out. an excellent point with their spotify and... so you got that discord and rhyme listeners listen to albums <laughs> i'm not sure if we've reiterated that before <laughs> uh, but so i mentioned that like I, I was never really familiar with the lyrics to this album because i couldn't hear them but i did read them in the last couple of days and they're very good i, I like the way bob mold charts the relationship uh, in the song, like alongside the changing seasons, but he doesn't signpost it in an obvious way, like naming a season at the beginning of each verse or something. Right. Like, uh, it just gradually changes over the course of the song. And uh, and I'm hardly the first to observe this, but Bob Mould's lyrics are really great in general. And he's and he's not showy about it at all. Like, he doesn't try to cram an encyclopedia and a thesaurus into every single line like Elvis Costello does. <laughs> like, uh, the words are always exactly what the song needs. Like, very plaintive, very sincere, and again, almost impossible to hear under the guitars. I finally brought Rich over to the dark side. <laughs> oh, no, I, I love Elvis Costello, but I, I, he's the opposite of Bob Mould yeah. in terms of lyrics. Okay, well, let's move on to track four. This is Helpless. Listening to this uh, clip just in our our own little space pod in which we record, Scott mentioned that this was his favorite song on the album. So I'd like to kick it to him first to uh, to hear why. Uh, the, you know those ringing riffs; they're, they're just so memorable. The drum fills are fantastic. It's just very melodic. Um, the songs, the lyrics are, are kind of your your classic Generation X styled angst. You know, uh, so it kind of brings me to that era. Um, and maybe some of his nostalgia, personal things. Back in the day when I hung out with my buds on weekends, you know, I was sort of the DJ and that I'd create mixtapes for listening slash drinking sessions <laughs> with my friends. And, uh, you know, Helpless was a fixture on, on many of uh, many a mixtape back then. And uh, it was always well received as, as just a great song. So, uh you know, I don't have much more to say beyond that. It just, it, it's it's the one I always turn to. If I'm going to pick one song from this album to listen to, that's the one. It's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was actually the second single that was released from this this album, and uh, definitely those those ringing guitars are are something that you don't hear on on many albums that also are so heavy. You know, I think that's one of the things that this album does very well is that it can go both as 
as muscular as something like the act we act, but also allowed those those sunbeams of of guitar in with perfect clarity as well. Mold Mold's very very smart in the way he uses his his guitars and and the studio I think in general. Yeah, I love the way this song has like this huge ascending vocal melody and guitar riff that but it's like constantly fighting against David Barbie's descending bass line. Uh, like uh, it's a good example of the text of a song coming through in the music I think like whether Bob Mold uh, intended it that way or not. Like it, it captures that well, helpless feeling of trying to force yourself to cheer up while like being dragged into the muck by forces beyond your control. <laughs> like whether that's the chemicals in your brain or just the stupid world in general. Um, and it must be said, this is the last episode Discord and Rhyme is recording in 2020 and good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Ben? Yeah, I mean, I so... I like everyone's reasons for this and, and I definitely really like the song, but again, I'd call it one of the lesser amazing songs on the album, but that means it's still amazing by definition and by the transitive property or something. <laughs> uh, it's got an awesome opening and, and the machine gun drums and, and the big melodic guitar riff that you guys talked about. I've never given the other guys in sugar enough credit, but just talking about the talking about them tonight makes me realize, you know, how much they they did make the music better. They they are very clearly Mold's backing band, but they execute his vision with a ton of power and energy. Mm -hmm. I like that machine gun drums because it, it sounds to me like the like the drums that kick off. Well, <laughs> The Red Hot Chili Peppers cover of Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder. Uh, except oh, in the, from the Composode. Yeah, that same Composode. <laughs> composode. Uh, but, uh, but in this case, the drums are in a song that I like. So uh, <laughs> uh, good job, guys. Is it David Barb or David Barbie? I've been saying Barbie, but again, I, I only know most of these guys' names from reading about them. I, I suppose I could have looked up interviews with them on the YouTube. It's not important. But... I, I just, I've heard kind of both, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, I, I apologize. I apologize to anybody who might be listening who is in their, who's their kinfolk <laughs> who, gets, who gets offended. But He uh, he later produced uh, a lot of the best Drive-By Truckers albums. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, but oh, I love them. loves them. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I eventually want to cover the album Southern Rock Opera on here. It's it's one of my favorite albums. Yeah, so he's a talented guy, Barb, and he and he wrote some some songs in Sugar, not a lot, but uh, you know, on the B sides compilation, he has several. So just mm -hmm. a shout out to him. Yeah, he only uh, he wrote Company Book on File Under Easy Listening. That's the only one that made it onto an album, but uh, it's it's not a bad song. No, but he he had several on their B sides compilation. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Not saying they were like like super songs or anything, but they exist. <laughs> <laughs> we may have just lost our our vital Barb demographic of listeners. Yeah. Oh well. Sorry if we mispronounced your name. Uh, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll eventually be rich and famous and have a research team that can handle things like that. <laughs> okay, done with helpless. Let's go on to track five. This is Hoover Dam.
Yeah, this is. I, I feel like we're we're almost going overboard in giving Barb and Travis the credit they deserve <laughs> for this album because I, I feel like this is another song that I don't want to talk about Bob Mold on. I just want to show. I just want to use it as an example of how vital the other two guys were to Sugar. And I think this is the song on the album on which the the listener's probably the most aware of the production from the the backwards drum track that opens the song to the unexpected keyboard solo that pops up which we have a clip of here. said that the that this whole song came to him fully formed with um influences ranging from the beatles to the left bank oh but yeah for me it's barb's sort of stumbly wumbly bass line rubbing up against <laughs> mold's 12 string that really makes the song work one thing that i i would like to i do think <laughs> i can give bob mold some credit for is that it's really i think it's really easy to write a catchy melody that doesn't use a lot of notes. That's a point we made on this show before, but this song has an incredibly complex melody and it's still really catchy. Like if you just try to play his vocal line on a keyboard, it it goes all over the place. And I don't know, I this this is the song more than any other on the album that just impresses me beyond words. I like that. That's good insight about the melody. Yeah, I mean this this one kills me. It's it's probably one of my top two on the album. It's wrenching just every second of it, and when it builds up to that point where he says "I'll see you later" and then just wails, um, and it just rips me apart. Mm-hmm. And I love the way the whole thing builds up to a big swirling and even hazy crescendo. And by the end, it's almost like there's two or three great songs being played simultaneously, layered on top of each other, and what should be chaotic just somehow makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, I always tend to think of uh, this and, and the later Man on the Moon together since, you know, those big, bright, you know, keyboards are, are a big part of the overall sound. And I guess back in the vinyl days, this would be the end of side one and Man on the Moon would be the end of side two. So, so maybe there's a, a certain symmetry there. Uh, there's an excellent outro guitar solo there too, as well from from Mr. Mold. So definitely uh, him uh, strutting his stuff as well. I think lyrically, <laughs> uh, it's about you know being on the edge where the protagonist can go either way. I, I think suicide is is implied here, and uh, you know so the dam is metaphorical, and and it's interesting to ponder you know what's meant by that. Apparently, you can't stand at the edge of the Hoover, Hoover Dam anymore. <laughs> uh, 
which is, which is good. I wouldn't want people to be able to. Uh, there's actually a picture of me at the Hoover Dam with my dad and my brother when I was 16, and it's probably the least flattering picture of me ever taken. <laughs> like I look absolutely distressed to be there, and I, I don't even remember. I don't even remember having a particularly bad time. I think I was just a teenager. <laughs> Um, but anyway, the song and not me, I knew I liked copper blue, but I didn't remember this song at all. And holy shit. And this is like completely unlike anything else on either a full length sugar album, though. Actually, now that I say that it, 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 uh, Scott mentioned man on the moon, which is coming up later. And yeah, there, there is like a line to be drawn between this and that I've seen it described as a louder mashup of like revolver by the Beatles with those, with those tape loops and those backwards drum tracks uh, and pet sounds by the beach boys. But uh, those keyboards really put it over the top. Like they sound kind of like Keith Emerson or, or Rick Wakeman or someone like, which instantly makes this the proggiest song to show up on one of Will's episodes, I think, so far. <laughs> this is a prog song. So, so far, yes. <laughs> you just wait. Well, well, you'll get to your Vandergraaf Generator episode, just you wait. <laughs> you did play Yes before. <laughs> I did play Yes, yeah. But uh, let's let's move on to side two. And yes, it is side two. I, I just checked my vinyl copy. And uh, as it goes, an album that has 10 tracks, five, five are on one side and five are on the other. Transitive property again. <laughs> this is track six, The Slim. like i absolutely love this song and nobody else seems to love it as much as i do but maybe i'm wrong oh really oh uh, the uh a lot of the uh, some of the reading i've done they, they often label this one as the centerpiece and not hoover dam which uh is interesting i could see that it's certainly an emotional centerpiece yeah 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 when we were initially figuring out what this show was going to be um back in 2018 when we were all young and optimistic. We thought that we might just chat our way over the top of the songs as they played in their entirety. And there are a lot of reasons I'm happy we wound up not going in that direction, but none greater than the fact that this episode would just feature me hiccup sobbing over the last two minutes of this song and my co-hosts mm. having to awkwardly cover for me and making odd, is he okay, faces at each other. The Slim <laughs> reminds me of the album Hospice by The Antlers, which is an excellent album that completely fucked me up for like a month after I gave it a deep listen. The term the slim disease, or just the slim, was an early, obviously unscientific slang term for the wasting away that AIDS sufferers can experience. And Mold himself 
wouldn't come out as gay, or rather be outed by Spin, the music magazine founded by that scion of class, Bob Guccione, until 1994. And he said that he doesn't want he didn't want the songs on Copper Blue to represent relationships or characters of any particular type, like gay, straight man, woman, whatever. And he's more specifically said that none of these songs are directly personal or autobiographical, and I have no desire to challenge him on that. But this song sure as hell feels real and lived in, just frothing with anger at a disease and at the apathy toward it during the Reagan-Bush years that ripped an unthinkable number of special, undeserving people out of this life. But I also feel like the narrator is, in a way, angry with his lover for leaving him alone. And this is a questionable read, maybe, but potentially for having infected the narrator as well. I'm not in any way Mm -hmm. suggesting that Mold himself holds a blame the victim viewpoint or suggesting that he's being untruthful in anything he said about the song. This is just my my very roundabout way of saying that I think the Slim successfully and honestly explores some very tricky territory and it is hugely effective. Um, and, And Mold is just a powerhouse with his vocals on this one. Yeah, I just want to expand on a little bit of what Will said there, because, yeah, like you said, at this point, the AIDS epidemic had been devastating the gay community for more than a decade. And uh, yeah, and Will mentioned the Reagan slash Bush years, and it was still common for yeah politicians and the mainstream press to treat it like just a big joke. Like at one point, Ronald Reagan's press secretary referred to AIDS as, quote, the gay plague, and the entire press corps just burst into laughter. Like it, it was just horrible sociopathic behavior. So, a, a song like this coming from a, from a major indie rock musician uh, was was just really powerful. So I just wanted to underscore what a major statement a song like this was in the early '90s, in particular. Scott, what do you think? Um, this is one of my favorite songs on the album as well. I think you guys uh, said a lot of what needs to be said about it. Um, again, you know the lyrics are obviously very personal about the loss of a loved one due to AIDS, whether it's his lover or, or someone he's just very close to. That's a, that's um, a very good point. Doesn't yeah. really matter. I, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it obviously hit very close to home for him. This is, you know, a raw, nerved, exposed type of song. It's incredibly mm-hmm. intense. His vocals are incredibly emotional. And uh, if this song doesn't hit you... Uh, I don't know what to say. You know, it's it's just that intense and in and, and that it's a special song. And I think one of the best songs on the album. Yeah, I love what the rest of you are saying about it. I, I don't have much insight into the lyrics, but I, I love the rolling guitar riff that just builds up and up as the song goes on. It's a fantastic, heartfelt and powerful song on an album that's just stuffed with them. Um, Mold's heartbreak is so palpable here. And I think it's it's my favorite vocal of his on the album. He spends the whole album at a 10 in intensity, but somehow there's something even more aching about his singing here. It's just mesmerizing. He turned it up to 11. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's turn it up to track seven. Uh, That was terrible. Uh, This is If I Can't Change Your Mind. (laughs) I like that. Thank you, Ben. Thought it was good.
Yeah. How on earth could this not have been the first single? This of <laughs> I, I don't. I, this was single number four from Copper Blue, and it is one of the greatest pop songs I think I've ever heard. It was the biggest song from the album, though. I, I, th- mean, I think it chart. I, I believe it, it charted the highest, and I. Th- it certainly. I mean, I'm. How could it not be? I'm guessing if we go to Spotify right now, that has by far the most hits. It had better. <laughs> Let me check. Hold on. Okay. Let's oh, see. we're actually. I forgot. We can, we can actually do these things. Yeah, three million <laughs> versus one million. Eight thirty-two ninety for that versus a good idea. Eighteen one million eight hundred twenty-five. So. Over a million more than number two. Wow. As well it should, because it's... But, but that's kind of depressing that, that it's not like 100 million. It is. You know, yeah, it, should, it be. should be up there with somebody that I used to know by... Goiti? It was 100 million, and then everyone returned their Spotify listens afterwards. <laughs> well, that's another funny thing, right? Because I used to shop, you know, back then... I spent a lot of time at St. Mark's in, right. in New York City uh, in those yeah. used record stores. And you're right. Mm-hmm. There, there, were, there was a ton of shit. Oh, yeah. They, Why? Like, I don't get it. Like, it's, those are great albums. Who was returning them? I don't get it. Yeah, I can't figure it out, but they, they were everywhere. And Ben was waiting there for them. Yeah, I, I feel ri- ridiculous for having paid full price for File Under Easy Listening when if I had, if I had waited Ooh. just uh, another two years, I could have... Had, had an armload of this that album from the cutout bin of any store. I think I got that as one of the BMG twelve for the price of one song. Yeah, and it, it must it must also be said that it's also depressing that Bob Mold probably got like a dollar for all of those Spotify plays. Oh yeah, total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though he's he's on Merge Records now, so at least they, they he's on a record label that will do right by him. And his later stuff is actually some of his better stuff. Like, you now he has... A, to me, Bob Mould is only good when he has a power trio. And he has... Uh, he currently has a very good power trio. And, and, and he's done some good recent albums. Yeah. But, uh, but back to If I Can't Change Your Mind, it's just... His his 12-string even manages to put a smiley face on the story of a lover who is being baselessly accused of cheating. And that is just such such a wonderful feat <laughs> i guess if we if you listen to one full song from this album that would be the one to listen to please <laughs> i can't recommend it highly enough yeah sugar sugar 101 right yeah i used to put this on mix cds all the time it's short it's punchy it's efficient it's basically what i want a song to sound like at its core like you can you can pile on the solos keyboard vamps tape loops dubstep breaks whatever i'll probably love it but (laughs) still the barometer is still how much is the core of this song like if i can't change your mind it's just a perfect pop (laughs) song yeah yeah that's a great description i I really like that i i almost don't have words for this one that's a cop out on a podcast so i'll see what i can do Um, (laughs) yeah i'm with rich that this is a, a perfect pop record it's perfect as a song with just an amazing melody and it's perfect as a recording with catchy little riffs all over the place and the 12 string guitar that will mentioned it's got no fat on it there's there's nothing wasted here Mm -hmm. and like everything else it's not just catchy but it's it's powerful 
You know, the arrangement is uncharacteristically peppy, but it's still as much of a compelling downer as all the other songs on the album. Um, (laughs) One thing that's always revelatory for me is how he refers to his partner as my dear. I never expect one man to say that to another man. Like my brain's first reaction is that doesn't make sense. But then I actually think about it and it makes perfect sense because that's what people say to their partners and to people they love. You know, he's not being self-consciously, you know, gay, like I'm gay and deal with it. But he's also not hiding anything just to fit into the rock and roll mainstream. On the song, he's just a guy with a broken heart for somebody. So aside from all those words, I don't have any other words for the song, except (laughs) that I could listen to it a hundred times in a row and not get tired of it for a second. Those were good words. Actually, in the video, he played with that a little bit. Uh, Travis and Barb and Mold each held up photos of themselves with their lovers in oh. the video. And they go, it goes by really fast, but it's there's a picture of Mold and his then boyfriend, Kevin. Oh, wow. Cool. And it, he, he, he talks about it in his autobiography, uh, which is called See a Little Light, in which I highly recommend. It's a very good book. But he talks about how he, they were sort of playing with that idea of of how it's not it's not really intended to be clear that this is, you know, a, a romantic partner or a partner of any other sort. It's just gay, straight, doesn't matter. It, it resonates yeah. the same way. Yeah, that's exactly it's kind of the point you were making there. And, and yeah, so you you and Bob Mould think alike is what I'm trying to say. Ben. <laughs> and, and musically, it's got this kind of jangle pop sound, which is very different than any other song on the album. It's much lighter musically if not lyrically. Mm -hmm. But a great pop song, like Rich said, a perfect pop song, perfect description as well. Yeah, and our co-host Amanda isn't on this episode, but she's running the Zoom call, and she pointed out that this is probably Adam Schlesinger's favorite song from Fountains of Wayne. And uh, the the efficiency of this song actually does kind of remind me of uh, their song Hey Julie, like just uh, how it just kind of like, like flies right through. Yeah, that's a good comparison. I like that song in the same way that I like this song. So uh, good comparison, Amanda. Sorry, you're not audible on this episode. <laughs> That's okay, Rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll just I'll just hype that that after Adam Schlesinger very sadly passed away, uh, Will and Rich and I did an episode where we looked back on his career and I really recommend listening to it. All right, let's move on to the final stretch of Copper Blue. This is track 8, Fortune Teller. What is this yes again? Yes. (laughs) That was Fortune Seller by Yes from their 1997 album Open Your Eyes. What was I thinking? Here's Fortune Teller.
The speed and aggression of that song just always makes me wish that Husker Du had just once been well recorded. Hmm. Because that gives you just sort of a glimpse at what I feel like they might have accomplished. But anyway, I take this song as... Um, I take this song as the the far uglier shadow of If I Can't Change Your Mind. It's a song about a lover whose pessimism, born of past relationship errors, makes him feel like their current relationship is inevitably going to be a disaster. If that makes sense. Like somebody who's always preemptively assuming the worst of their of anyone they're with because of things that have happened in the past. Yeah. I don't know if it was intentionally designed to be of a sort of like the the shadow of if I can't change your mind, but I, I think it makes a nice one-two punch. And it's in the songs catchy as hell regardless. Well, I agree with the Husker Du comparison. Like uh, for such an amped up album, there aren't really a lot of songs that really like, you know, charge at you rushing headlong like this one does. They're They're surprisingly like slow for how loud they are but uh, this one feels kind of like a prelude to g angel which i talked about earlier and i I like that song a lot more but this one's still a nice burst of caffeine like late in the album this isn't really one of my favorites Uh, i think it's weaker than most of the prior songs but i I still think it's really good Uh, i think it you know it it has a grungier sound it's almost more like a beaster track uh to me uh their subsequent ep which was kind of really dark and grungier uh, again, with with regards to the lyrics, you, you get some more relationship woes uh, from Bob. You know, more more of the same. Uh, very good track, but to me, not a highlight, but but still very good and 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 very hard. You know, very rocking. Yeah, I'm I'm very much with Scott there. That this is a bit of a letdown for me after the last song, but pretty much any song would be. Um, it's good rock music with exciting dynamics. Uh, very much thanks to. Malcolm Travis on drums and David Barbet on bass. <laughs> I don't have a ton to say about it, but it's a good filler track in that I always believe that filler tracks should move the album along and never make you think, what the hell am I listening to and why am I listening to it? Fortune Teller does that just right. It, it zips you to the next song. Okay, well, let's, with that in mind, let's zip to the next song. This is track nine, <laughs> Slick. for me is the one song on the album that I'm I don't think really land it lands successfully. It sounds to me like almost a cross between 
Talking Heads, Memories Can't Wait, and Metallica's One, but without any of the elements that make those songs good. It's just sort of woozy and viscous, and (laughs) I just don't care about it. But it brings up a larger topic that I'd like to discuss with you guys that I don't think we've mentioned before. When you're thinking of or listing your favorite albums, do you disqualify albums that have like nine amazing songs and one lousy one? Or how, like what, I I can't figure out where what the cutoff would be, but... Depends how amazing those nine songs are that you yeah, like. That's, yeah, that's and how thing. well it fits together. Because I don't, I don't loathe this song by any means, but it's often occurred to me that it, it might be the song that keeps Copper Blue out of my very, very top list of albums, in spite of the fact that it's more than made up for by stuff like uh, If I Can't Change Your Mind. And also, I may obsess about this more than the normal person. No, I think you're in good company with that. It's, I mean, that, that's a, a really interesting question to ask when you're thinking about albums. And, and you know, there's something to be said for the, the nine amazing songs that, that just drown out the one crappy song. But there's also something to be said for an album that just keeps a single mood and level of quality the whole way even if it's not as good as those nine amazing songs. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, I, I agree. This is the only song that musically doesn't do much for me. Um, I think that, you know, the dark lyrics about a car crash and its aftermath you know, are definitely intriguing, but, but musically it's just kind of there. It doesn't compare to the rest of the album. It's the only, what I would consider filler track on the album it's what makes it an A rather than an A plus album for for me mm. personally with with That's my fair. rating system. Although according to John McFerrin, who knows what that means? <laughs> <laughs> Awful. <laughs> so uh, again, you know, it's the only song that I really don't care for on the album. But it's not bad. It's not terrible or anything. But uh, it's it just doesn't really hook you in like the rest of the album. I think John would give it a sigma epsilon to the third power. <laughs> uh, yeah, this one's this one's probably my least favorite too. Though I think it's a good sequencing move. Though I don't know how intentional it was on Bob Mold's part. But uh, Scott earlier mentioned like how the songs kind of uh, crash into each other on this album, uh, which you don't really get just hearing like the bits and pieces that we've been playing. But Fortune Teller is probably the most reckless, aggressive song on the entire album, and then it crashes right into this song without a gap, which is very fitting given given the subject matter about a car crash. Like uh, it's like the song begins with the crash and now you're watching the car like explode into pieces in slow motion like your life flashing before your eyes or something so i wish the song was as good as that description but i don't think it quite yeah. is <laughs> yeah i want synesthesia now because it sounds amazing <laughs> it, kind of, <laughs> it, it can be sometimes yeah I'm, I'm with all of you it's the low point on the album i think i mean it, it it's sort of effective rock and roll but it's just kind of there I will point out that it opens with a with a, a strange noise. It's like a train going by or something like that. And I love how creepy and inhuman and cold and metallic and industrial that sound is. Uh, it just it's a great effect. I would call it something out of J.R.R. Tolkien's nightmares, but I won't do that to Will on his episode. 
<laughs> While we're talking about strange noises at the beginning of songs, I forgot to mention this, but uh, there's like this weird bubbling noise at the beginning of a good idea. And uh, I, 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 I think that's somebody yeah. gargling. Okay, it's not a bong rip like on the Beastie Boys album. <laughs> it's... Maybe I'm just that lame that I can't recognize a, a, somebody <laughs> taking it off a bong when I hear it. Well, it's it sounds like it does on the Beastie Boys album. <laughs> I assumed that it was like that. That's what the Pixies sound like, and that's what I that was there. But I don't know. I assume, I guess that, not. That's now. true. If it's on that song, it's probably an element of a Pixie song somewhere. Oh, I just figured it out. It's the sound. It's it's the sound of somebody drowning. Oh yeah, Ooh. that's what it's meant to be. That makes sense. How do you know? <laughs> we agreed never to speak of it. Yeah, I hope it's not literally the sound of somebody drowning. I was I was wondering like what foley effect they were doing in the studio. To well, me. I was. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it sounds like somebody's gargling. Like the Phil Collins me, song, but... right, where he yeah. watched somebody drown. <laughs> All right, guys, let's round out the album with track ten, "Man on the Moon," and no, well, I'm not playing the REM song. <laughs> Just glad Yes didn't have one with the same title. They actually do have a song called Man in the Moon. Oh my god. <laughs> Waiting in the night to bathe you all in moonlight. I am the man. I am the man in the moon. And with that, we have rounded out the prog rock rule of threes. Here's Man on the Moon, this time by Sugar. These are all great air guitar songs. Yeah. mentioned that this song was inspired by My Bloody Valentine, though I can't really hear it myself. Maybe it's because Mold's production by this point had grown into its own signature creature with his own particular style of layering sheet after sheet of guitar into his songs. And he also tends to multi-track his voice and push it, push both it and the drums pretty far to the front of the mix, unlike your average shoegaze band. Or maybe it's that Mold didn't want to bankrupt Creation Records by continually fiddling and fiddling with the song sound the way Kevin Shields <laughs> did on My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. Mm-hmm. 
but either way, it's uh, it's a beautiful way to finish out the album. It's not even going out on a, a down note the way you might expect him to. It's almost almost like just taking a a melancholy bow. I guess I'll. I would say. Well, I do know that when Bob Mould first heard Loveless, like his reaction was basically this. This is what I want music to sound like. So uh, I imagine it had a yeah huge amount of influence on the um, on the production here. Oh, I'm sure he was influenced by it. Yeah. I just don't hear it, even even if that's what he was aiming for. <laughs> I never heard that. The, the song My Favorite Thing on file on the Easy Listening is an obvious ripoff of a My Bloody Valentine song. I don't know if you... you, you You've noticed that. Uh, I can't remember the one, but... It also kind of sounds like Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. <laughs> It kind of does. Uh, but yeah, when I when I signed up for this episode, I was a little scared of finding different things to say about 10 amped up guitar rock anthems. But uh, there was a surprising amount of variety buried underneath all of the decibels. But I, I have to admit, I'm kind of at a loss with this one besides the loveless comparison. So I'm just going to use my get out of copper blue free card and say, huh. what a great amped up guitar rock anthem. I like it. Uh, what about you, Scott? Uh, Seems fair. You know, this is the grand finale. You know, it's an it's an epic song. It's a uh, it's again that has those big synths like like I talked about with Hoover Dam. Uh, I just think you know overall it provides a great climax to a great album, and it's just a really good song. But uh, that's it. I don't know. It's it's just it's good. Yeah, Scott, you're good at summing uh, things up. Just, just kind of nailing a song in a couple of words. Uh, it, it seems strange that an album that's so hard edged and loud would have a lullaby on it, but somehow it works. Um, and like you all said, it's similar to Hoover Dam. Uh, it's hard rock. It uses hard rock instruments, but it's drawn out and atmospheric, and it's got an unforgettable melody. And towards the end, it starts riding upward on these big, slowly building Beach Boys block harmonies. Sorry, Will, it's true. Best of all, it's it's hopeful and uplifting from a guy who usually sounds pissed off and hurt and in his lightest moments, deeply serious and morose. It's all the more effective because it's so uncharacteristic for Mold. And overall, it makes me smile, which can be heavy lifting these days, but, but Mold pulls it off. <laughs> ben makes a great point in that these songs, are, are, you look at the lyrics and it's heavy stuff, right? It's It's mostly... Uh, depressing oh, yeah. right but but the album ultimately uplifts me because it's so good and and the musically it's really not depressing for the most part i don't know if that makes sense but uh no there's no shortages yeah. of songs on here i think you're right like mm -hmm. like changes or, or helpless that you know lyrically are kind of <laughs> if you just read them on the page they you'd come away feeling pretty down but you, you've got like those ringing guitars from from helpless or ch changes rather 
the ultimate my ultimate takeaway from the album is not one of depression because yeah, it's, that's, it's just such right. a, it's such a great album and and it uplifts me because of that i guess well uh, speaking of ultimate takeaways from the album <laughs> that that song brings copper blue to a smashing close uh, so will what are your concluding thoughts on the album and sugar in general i've struggled to write a conclusion that can do justice to the the massive emotional power of this this record um I feel like it's it's one that needs to be in every music geeks collection and it can be had very cheaply so there is <laughs> no reason not to to possess several copies. You, you could just write it like the conclusion to a five paragraph essay in junior high like in conclusion for the reasons I have stated above <laughs> this very 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 <laughs> good so, Scott, you have any concluding thoughts? In my opinion, Copper Blue is simply one of the best alternative rock albums of of that era of the early '90s. Uh, yeah, even though I think it's rarely re- remembered as such, uh, even though it should be. I mean, heck, uh, Sugar and aren't even remembered as Bob Mold's best band, even though I personally think that they were, <laughs> and I know some other people on this podcast agree with that. We're working to rectify that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, this album, it's an essential album that, that I can't recommend highly enough. I think it's a classic album, uh, and it's, it's just great stuff, so check it out. Yeah, the, this is not, like I said, this is not an album I would have expected to like, but I love it. And so it's the exception to my ironclad rule of never try anything new because it's not worth it. And now I can safely assume there will be no more exceptions. Thanks for choosing this one, Will. <laughs> All right, well, so if somebody likes Copper Blue, what else should they hear, whether it's Sugar, Bob Mould, Husker Du, or just something in the same spirit? Well, he Bob Mould has amassed a remarkably sturdy body of work, no matter who he's playing with, or even if he's just playing with himself. But if, <laughs> what did I say? We're all seven. What did... I, I, don't, I don't see how that's funny, but if you've already... <laughs> If you've already burned through Sugar's entire discography in like two hours and are craving more stuff in that vein, you should check out Mold's two, uh, 2016 solo album, Patch the Sky. Once again, he's working with a nimble and expressive rhythm section, this time with seasoned bassist Jason Narducci, who's played in Superchunk and Guided by Voices, and drummer John Worcester from Superchunk, The Mountain Goats, and the bountiful radio comedy duo Sharpling and Worcester. None of those bands are real, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You never saw them in the used band. (laughs) Ben, what about you? 
Um, so it's a close call, but there's a Sugar album, or I guess an EP, that I like even more than Copper Blue. And it's one we talked about along the way. It's called Beaster. The songs were recorded at the same time as, as during the Copper Blue sessions. Um, and Mold put it out about a year later. The hooks on Beaster are less distinct than the ones on Copper Blue, but the the compositions are, are more hypnotic and looping. They're almost vamps that Mold hadn't had the time to turn into real songs, uh, but they tell an emotional story across the 30 minutes, at least to me, whether or not Mold meant them to. They worm their way into my brain and, and wear me down with Mold's typical barrage of naked emotion. Overall, Beaster is droning, repetitive, cathartic, and menacing, like me. Scott, you got any recommendations from the from the wider Bob Mole ooh? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I agree with with these guys. Uh, Beaster's uh, got some really good stuff. It has my favorite Bob Mole song, JC Auto. Uh, File Under Easy Listening is is also really good. Uh, Silver Age is a later soul album that I like a lot with his latest power trio. And if we're leaving the Bob Mold universe, I, I would recommend you know. Other power pop bands with uh, with really great guitar and 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 drums like uh, Matthew Sweet Girlfriend comes to mind, or the Posies Frosting on the Beater uh, is in a, a similar similar vein, and and also I mentioned the Husker Du Warehouse and Stories. Uh, I think that's the Husker Du album that that will appear most to appeal most to Sugar fans. If it's not obvious from from hearing him, you all should go buy Scott's book because he he knows a lot and he's he's got some really interesting opinions about music. And it is it is shockingly comprehensive to for for just this sheer amount of of work that went into the the book and how well it's written and edited is is terrific. Thank you all. Yeah, you can yeah you can find it on Amazon and we'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, I, I don't have anything particularly original with regard to sugar recommendations. You should hear File Under Easy Listening, the the full length follow up. It's it's very similar to Copper Blue. It's not quite as good. It, it hasn't, but uh, you know, in the sense that it's like uh, an A minus rather than an A slash A plus. I listened to it or just I listened to the two albums back to back today, and it was just a remarkably entertaining listen. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
So on the next episode of Discord and Rhyme, great googly moogly. Next episode, Phil will be talking about the 1966 double album Freak Out by the Mothers of Invention, the world's first glimpse into the mind of Frank Zappa. The Discord and Rhyme Slack channel is about 25% Frank Zappa discussion by volume, so this one's guaranteed to be a big one. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for joining us, Scott, and uh, come back anytime. Yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. Yeah, thank you, Scott. It's great to have you on Thank you. Had a lot of fun. Roll credits. Thank you for listening to Discord and Rhyme. You can buy Copper Blue and other albums by Sugar, Bob Mold, and Husker Du directly from bobmold.com uh, or your local record store. You can also buy or stream Copper Blue at the usual places such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and Amazon. We've also made you a Spotify playlist that you can find on our website, discordpod.com. Once again, make sure to check out Scott's book, The Story of Rock and Soul Music, Album Reviews and Lists on Amazon, and his podcast, Music Nerds Unite, wherever podcasts are found. You can follow Discord and Rhyme at Discord Pod on Twitter for news and updates and on Instagram for pictures of our pets, though we've been slacking on that for a bit. Uh, so after we're done recording, I'll probably go make my beagle Rudy pose with my LP of Copper Blue <laughs> and then give him a treat. <laughs> Editing is by me, and special thanks to Mike DeFabio for production, our theme song, and original music. See you next album, and be ever wonderful. Junk! Ah!